Should I start? A noise of a duck. Okay, ما في عربي إنجليزي برومي. Okay. لا إذا بدك هالمرة نخليها بالإنجليزي. إيه إيه إيه. حفاظا على الفورمات يلي ولا مرة أنا احترمته بس أوكي. الأودينس بيس تبعنا بكانزاس ولا؟ نو نو موريال ريبريزنتس. Like you should be doing it in French. Oh god, I'd rather not hear your French accent. Oh no, I'm not in French. I'm not in French. I'm not in French. I'm not in French. Oh god. I took a cab yesterday to Beirut. One of those few days I don't drive there, but I wanted to get there before additional roadblocks were set up. After the ceremonial discussion of the weather forecast, we were immersed with your typical taxi drive on a protest day. The radio was blaring news clips and filling calmer moments with patriotic songs. The drivers were consulting each other on what roads are clear, which inevitably leads to a political discussion among myself, the passenger and the driver. There's no need to relay what happened during that drive. Least to say is we are in dire need to listen to each other. After I reached Beirut, it was sunny and a bit calm in Marmkhayel. So I went to a calmer spot and honestly had no script, turned on my mic and shared some thoughts. I'm currently heading to meet Ronnie to record an episode, a special one that we'll be releasing on Friday. I was dreading this moment because it's officially the last time I'm recording on my own and I need to hand back the mic, hand in all the equipment before I move on to other things I have planned. However, as this was feeling like the end, the 90th day of revolution happened on the streets. We were all weary, we were all tired, we thought things have ended but the streets keep surprising us. What I thought would be the end of something today is actually the start of something else. As usual, the streets are definitely faster. They have their own minds, their own rationale. They wait for no one. For this reason, even if I'm handing in my own mic today, I cannot help but feel a great sense of hope that this will not end at least not in a sad way. And I know for a fact that 
every single story on the ground matters. And I hope someone will do you justice. I don't remember exactly which day you reached out to me, but it may have been the the first week of the actually, revolt. Actually, it was before. Before? Mm. Okay, so so when when did you reach out then? Was it... Like a couple of days before. Right, because you were starting the revolt. <laughs> and you were looking for In an excuse to not yeah. go back to Montreal. <laughs> <laughs> I was recruiting. You were... You were studying the WhatsApp text and making sure it goes through, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you reached out before and you wanted to just join. And then, of course, you joined. <laughs> <laughs> because a lot of things happened. Um, can you just take me back to that period of time? Because for me, it's become quite fuzzy. We, we communicated the first week. Of the revolt? I think, yeah. Yeah, because we started recording after the second week. So it happened within that first 10 days, I'd say. I, I remember getting in touch before everything happened mm. because I also remember wanting to join not because of the revolution, but because of wanting to work on the podcast. Right. I yeah. remember l- listening to it from the beginning yeah. and thinking, well, I'm in Beirut and this guy is producing in Beirut. So let's see if we can actually make things together or work on the format and then the whole thing changed Uh, first week I was lost in my own thoughts you were too and then we kind of figured it out by the second week so by the second week we we met yeah yeah right you know I think that's a I mean I know it's it's less than three months ago Mm -hmm. it just doesn't feel three months went by I stopped checking the date on the calendar I was keeping the day of the revolt. And I think now we're probably into the 90s. It's officially day 90 today. Day 90. Yep. And this will be released a few days from now. Mm-hmm. It'll coincide with exactly three months since the beginning of the of the revolt. Let's assume three months is enough time to look back, at least at the beginning of what we both experienced. Uh, do you think... Lebanon is a very general question. All the people you've spoken to, all the protesters, particularly in Martyrs Square where you spent most of your time, do you think Lebanon is moving in a better direction as a result of the initial, the initial outburst? Forgetting the ups and downs that come with any moment in history, can you say that maybe months from now, years from now, this country will be in a better place. I hope so. Um, The reason I'm saying this is because of my experience on the ground. Mm. It's not the idealistic part of me that says, yes, people got together, they found a common interest and all of that. I'm sure this applies at some basic level. But to me, the most important part was people speaking to each other candidly Mm. and with no fear for example I never imagined witnessing someone talking about Hezbollah's arms in Martyr Square and saying well this is not about this now this is about something else Mm. stop being so worried Mm. Mm. Um, 
I never thought Lebanese who didn't know each other would be talking so candidly about things. Right. Never, never, never. Like for another example, just to, to illustrate how it has changed. Mm. Um, two weeks ago, um, a friend of mine who lives in the UK was visiting. He was visiting with his girlfriend. We went out for coffee. And then you know how Lebanese people, like 15 minutes into the conversation, it turns into politics. And he's like... About Brexit, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) He had his own thing to take care of. But it eventually turned back into um, Lebanese politics. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but in my circles with my friends, whenever the conversation would turn into um, a big figure, either Birri or uh, Nasrallah Mm, or whatever... mm we automatically just use uh, right. a, like a, a lower tone of voice, yeah, yeah. In, in, especially if it's a coffee shop, make sure, sure that like it's... And certain it's names are lower than others. Yeah. And, yeah. and when I heard him speak to me this way about uh, politics, I just looked at him and I'm like, we're over this now. We can talk yeah. about this out loud right. and it's not personal. It's not about being disrespectful to anyone. Yeah. It's just talking politics and it's no longer a devilish thing to do talk about politics yeah it's not something to be ashamed of because it's not personal people used to think it's because of a person or because of a group that we're we shy away from things but i think it just took that conversation in that branch of urbanista to remind me how things actually changed like our tone changed it's funny you say urbanista i before this before all of this urbanista to me was just a place you go to Pretend like you're working and you take your laptop, you plug it in and you go on Facebook and that's five hours later, you're done with Facebook Yeah. and you regret sitting in Urbanista. Yeah. And the social factor aside, I just, I never imagined that real discussions would happen there. And I did many recordings in Urbanista. Uh, Many people that I interviewed were not just discussing, but strategizing in Urbanista and one thing is for sure, the, cafe, the cafe's role in this revolt is, is central. It's not just Twitter and Instagram and WhatsApp and Facebook. People are communicating person to person in cafes like Urbanista. Not to do too much promotion for one cafe, but it's, <laughs> that is it, the one here in Jamezi for sure. It, That's the one I was in. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting that that could just be an accident that it's so close to Martyrs Square. And it's the most, I mean, it's an easily accessible cafe to go in and out from while the protests are happening. And price-wise, remember, like right. it's easier to go in that place than to go into uh, polls. Definitely, exactly. to most right. protesters. The discussions were happening in the squares, mm-hmm. the same discussions. But it's, it's just, like, we used to use cafes as a proxy for public spaces. Right. We never had public spaces. Right. So just we reclaimed some public spaces, but that conversation is translating into coffee shops too. Yeah. You decided to join a, the Wild West of broadcasting. And I want to just ask you about your own inclinations, your personal curiosity about podcasting. Mm-hmm. What, forget what drove you to reach out to me. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just the guy with the, yeah. But what about, what, what? What is it about podcasting that made you want to join this podcast? Um, I think it has to do first with form, second with audience. Mm. So when mm. you say TV has its own audience, I agree. Yeah. 
But you, I, I think we always tend to forget that expats who want to stay informed also stream TV. They're not only mm. on Twitter. Mm. Many of them stream Lebanese channels. Mm-hmm. So it's still relevant not only to people here, but to expats abroad, right. especially if they're used to watching TV, they still stream it. It's part of their mm. uh, diet, let's say. Um, when it comes to broadcasting, I think it suits me more because I am not on the ground breaking news. This is, this is I'm sure, many people's roles, whether they're journalists or not. Mm. Someone is already doing that job. I don't think me uh, being on the ground uh, helps a lot with breaking the news. So you saw that role fulfilled? At, at, least, at least I couldn't see myself fulfilling it. Yeah, Even if yeah, there's yeah. A, sor- a shortage, right. I-, I don't see myself fulfilling that role because mm. I know how mobile I can actually be on the ground and it's not as much as needed. Right. So I felt that I could offer something that's not necessarily quick to digest. Yeah. More, um, I see it as fairer to the protesters mm-hmm. because every time I would go on the ground, naturally you'd expect that most people were already interviewed by TV stations. And when I used to go to rallies, I used to avoid the beginning of rallies because that would be the moment that every news outlet would want to catch protesters. Every time I'm there, the first 80 minutes, I'm just on the side observing, letting them have their moment because people had like higher energy. They wanted to be on camera and all of that. So you're like a vulture waiting for your dead prey. It's not for the dead prey. Let me me explain why. It's not necessarily dead. When the traditional outlets leave, so do the protesters who are more attention grabbing. And these are usually Mm. not the people I want to talk to. Right. Just like you have people who are more outgoing, some people are less outgoing. And these people are usually not covered by media because maybe they're camera shy. Maybe they're not the type of people who give you material that's hot enough for media, etc. Right. And these were the people I was trying to target. Yeah. Usually, these would be people who were like me on the side at the beginning, mm-hmm. but they still had something to say. Not necessarily flamboyant in front of the camera, but they still had their own story to tell. And this is what I tried to document. So um, at the, the beginning, podcast. you kind of knew, knew that that's the voice you wanted to share. Yeah. The average protester not being too eccentric for the moment at the first few hours. The ones that are committed and getting their voices heard. I'm sure everyone is committed. Yeah. yeah. I would say also it's, it's the people who are disgruntled by how the media is covering their opinions. So I Mm. heard this a lot, where they would describe to me how other reporters would be on the ground interviewing for 30 seconds and then they leave, they just bolt out. So it's just a reaction, they're not given enough space. Yeah, you know, I think that is the most valuable tool to this kind of new form of expression. Because at first it requires patience. your episodes average somewhere between 20, maybe 15, 20 minutes at times. But sound bites or video clips, they, they're two to three minutes sometimes or even less. So you need to already be willing to sit down for a 30-minute experience. And I think the kind of listener is the, the one... It's definitely attracting a listener that is more interested 
and exactly what's going on rather than just getting a headline. And I, I like that we both, without realizing it, we both thought that would be valuable. Because when we met, I think the first... I, I, I'm trying to remember the initial <laughs> conversation. I think it was... I was trying to delicately suggest a Martyr's Square storyline yeah. with a portable microphone and you, you were without hesitation. That's exactly what you wanted to do anyway. So we both kind of, I think, noticed that that would be far more rewarding than just sort of a, a daily reflection that you actually wanted to get protesters to speak their mind. 37 episodes, which is quite an accomplishment. It's a short period of time, just so that this is not kept between us. Can you please share how much of an obnoxious bitch I am when, <laughs> when, you, uh, when I didn't believe that you were real at the beginning? <laughs> this is a story that will be told to my grandchildren someday. <laughs> but just a caveat... This came out of concern that you're actually, uh, you're either a you're trying to sabotage or you're a, you're a bot. You're not real. This is his inner paranoia. So <laughs> I decided to get in touch with Ronnie. I'm like, yes, I've been listening to this show for a while. I like the content. I think I can be a nice addition to what's going on, either format wise or maybe content wise. But wait, wait, wait. Let me just say, I'm going to, I'll interrupt once. Them. I'll interrupt once. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't really like that. It was more like, uh, uh, WhatsApp texting uh, through Facebook Messenger. It was like, yo, what's up? Intern? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like that. It wasn't it was like something that. Something like that. I remember intern was a line on its own. Question mark? <laughs> I can prove otherwise, okay, but we're yeah, yeah, ignoring yeah. this. Let's, let's not, let's not, yes, yeah, let's not go into details. Let's just delete those. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He, he's currently deleting them. <laughs> So I, I tell him, like, I'm interested in working along you in this podcast. And then he's like, uh, okay, so uh, would you mind uh, sharing your cover letter with me and your CV? <laughs> I just, I look at this reply. And I'm like, is this guy for real? I'm volunteering my time, my experience. I'm a journalist. I can be of actual use to this guy. M and mind you, I'm thinking the same thing. Is this person uh -huh. real? Okay. Let me find out. We could have found, found out over coffee. That's anyway. True. We did. So he's like, okay, so he makes me write because if you are a professional who's serious about their job, you write a letter, a different letter for every job or every opportunity. You don't recycle the thing. If you do, this is why you're not getting the job. So I write down this letter detailing what I actually want and I remember writing it on a Sunday it was a big protesting Sunday just before I was heading out I'm like if you don't write this now you're never gonna write it so I wrote it day, day three it. or day four of the revolution and you sent the most impressive I mean you should use this for any job <laughs> I think NASA or whatever you tend to do later I mean this is the cover letter mm -hmm. it's I mean how think I think I felt so small <laughs> after reading it. I like, do you want the cover letter? I'm going to give you a cover letter. That was a cover letter. And I showed it to a few <laughs> friends. I'm like, I think she's real. They're like, yeah, 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 she's real. This is, you don't get that unless it's real. I'm like, okay, <laughs> sure. <That's>, so, <laughs> I'm well, like, if he's not impressed by that, I don't want to ever meet him. Never. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I hope you just change the name and the occupation when you apply <laughs> and I think you're fine. <laughs> I might actually use your cover letter. Uh -huh. for other, yeah. 
<laughs> so yeah, this is this is how it actually happened. I applied to be an intern with my with Mr. Shatar. You you applied. <laughs> <laughs> is there any other way to describe the process of writing a cover what, letter to you? No, no. What what was our inner inner joke for a while? It was master's degree and cover Kababji. letter. Kababji. Yes. Uh, customer of the month. Exactly. And your cover letter. His three achievements on the wall. He managed to get all three documents. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the hardest (laughs) one was you. (laughs) I'm still not sure about the kebabji one. I'm sure that was hard. Over time, I'm beginning to think this is something... I wasn't that special. I think think anyone who ordered that month got a customer of the month. (laughs) Your health took a bad... Like, uh, took a hit, I'm sure. Yeah, well, that for sure, yeah. (laughs) I was... Well, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Definitely. Uh, you saw me degenerate mentally <laughs> and physically. Yeah. yeah. Daily episodes are not meant to be sustainable, for sure. You know, there was a stretch where both of us were every day, and I think at times three, because I look back and I, there are days where there's more than two. So we, we worked hard. And the editing process... We worked harder. Well, the, the editing is in itself a struggle because it's not just sitting down for an hour or two or three it's making sure the internet is sufficient it's uploading a massive file it's converting it and it just that it's a commitment every day let alone the recording or let alone organizing the recording these are not easy things what should be Ideally, maybe four hours or five hours can literally be 15 hours if it's not oh, yeah. handled correctly. Yeah. But I think, because I've, I've not looked back enough since we're still releasing nearly daily episodes, I think we have so much material documented. And before we go back to the early stretch of the revolution, just going again to the future... Do you see this as a record people can look back on and maybe relive the moments of optimism and caution, perhaps some reluctancy? I mean, do you think this is a tangible way for people to relive all that ha- all that's happened, all that's been sort of momentous in this time of history? Because I do. And I wanted to, I never asked you this question about the, what could be perceived as a larger purpose to this kind of uh, narrative. I know it is for me. Like um, I, I, I don't know if any of you listen. We're also releasing kind of snippets of every episode just to give you a, a taste of what the episode is about. So when I was preparing the snippets for my own episodes, I had to re-listen to all the episodes and then pick the ones that I thought were representative of each person's narrative and what they actually wanted to convey. And it just put a smile on my face. I almost remembered every day, every person, every story. Some were positive, some were negative. Mm. Um, Not every interview went as smoothly as I wished. Not every interviewee had a story that was positive. Sometimes we just had to work around it. It was for me. It, It did take me back. So I hope that when I listen to those a while later and when our listeners hopefully listen to those a while later they will not only remember the people, but how themselves they felt when they first listened to them, because it definitely felt that way for me. 
it took me yeah. back to the yeah. days I was editing, to the conversations we had on WhatsApp with, with my interviewees, discussing what they had on their mind, etc. It, it, it's a story. Like, the podcast itself is a documentation, and then the story around it and how you consumed it is another. It's another layer of the story. So I hope, because it has been for me, and I hope it will be for others too. That's good to hear. So even for your own well-being, in a way, to keep positivity there, you're listening back to your earlier conversations. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, again, like, I'm sure you feel the same. Yeah. I still have material that I never released for one reason or another. I, I mean, this may come out later. Yeah. I have one episode that I love that I was told, unfortunately, I couldn't release. Yeah. I, hopefully, one day I can. It's just a... It's someone's magical moment yeah those and whether they're released or not most of them are yeah definitely it is a it's an emotional journey to go back to some of the earlier episodes yeah. you know i think we were so invested into recording that we may have missed some of those moments by by decision by choice i don't know if you feel the same way that maybe the editing process kept you oh yeah I mean, and that may be a good thing. Maybe it kind of doesn't make you too emotional at the moment or, or too personally invested. Maybe it kind of allows a bit of a distance from it. It does. It does. Because it, it keeps you in the house for X given hours. Yeah. Like you have to be there because the <laughs> yeah. work needs... Like my schedule used to be wake up, edit what I recorded the night before, uh, send you an episode, then go on the streets, try yeah. to record an interview, go back home upload when the connection is good after right. 11 p.m download do your thing sleep that was that was like my daily schedule so, so remind me it was 11 p.m and then i would get it at like 11 in the morning right because <laughs> that's the problem yeah. yes yeah. It, like yeah. you have to work around connection here right it, and it if electricity goes out oh yeah, oh, yeah. You start over yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly so all the uploads all the downloads need to happen at a time where no one else is awake yeah so yeah but but it i did miss a lot of moments i wish i didn't miss but I think it was positive, especially after a month or 40 days in, yeah. when most people I knew were protesting, started to feel the mental drain of being there for weeks at a time and yeah. not really going home, like barely to shower and then come back. So right. I think it did eventually serve me by having to go home daily for that you that didn't long. burn out at the beginning. Yeah. I, I, that's how I feel now. Right, that's interesting. So it kept you more productive long term. Sane. I, I, sane. I, I'm going to yeah. use the term sane because, yeah. again, I, I know you feel the same, even though you were not on the ground, but you were with people who were giving you their story. Yeah. Being there, you if you really want an actual story, not just some random thing, you have to sit down with people, try to bond with them if you right. can, make them feel that you're not just like any other person who's going to take their story and God knows what will happen to that. And yours, I think, is a riskier endeavor because you're not interviewing people you spoke to already. Oh, you're, yeah, yeah. You're Completely just approaching strangers. them with a microphone. Exactly. And I think that is a dip, bit of a delicate approach that most people don't need to worry about. You, you in a way, every episode was not planned. Never. Yeah. I would go down knowing I am not coming home without an interview. I remember the one time we were both there at the same time. And <laughs> I I went the first month, I think I went every day. Yeah. The second month, not so much. By the third month, it became maybe once a week. Mm -hmm. 
And today it's literally just driving through or getting stuck on the ring with protesters mm-hmm. happening. So you're seeing it every day, but you're not necessarily there every day. And I remember when, I don't this may have been after a month, maybe, we're both in Martyrs Square. And I'm watching you record an episode, and then I even... I have that friend, was with Amelia, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Friend of... Yeah, exactly. She yeah. approaches me, and I have the friend that I haven't seen her in maybe 15 <laughs> years. First thing I tell her, you would be great for Elia. She's like, huh? Yeah. And she thought I'm like... She had no idea what I was talking about. And that, I thought, was a nice moment that we both, just by accident, yeah. shared an episode together that way. Like and your brain becomes wired yeah. to kind of detect a story. Like, this is potentially a good story to right. go on here. I mean, I could hear it within a minute of her talking. I was like, oh, this person is, this yeah. is, this is good. And then I was really entertained that she doesn't have WhatsApp or Facebook or Instagram <laughs> or Twitter or even a phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, when I send her an SMS, I'm like, I hope her phone's not off because when you send yeah. an SMS and the phone's off, you're never going to get it. I think it's a Blackberry, but it's not, right? It's a, I think it might be, though. May, maybe. It's yellow. Big yeah, and yellow. If you're listening yeah. to this episode, please, please get a smartphone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but honestly, like, I know my weird process of... Mm. of um, Picking guests and all of that. How was yours? Because I know at the beginning you had the luxury of doing one episode a week, right? Before the revolution. Yeah, Before yeah, the revolution. Yeah, but yeah. Like afterwards, especially like, I know I had my own rush, yeah. but it's, I, I don't know how to say it otherwise, but it's like within Martyr Square, I would roam around until I found someone. How, how did your process go? Well, uh, the last episode I released before... Well, no, let's, let me start differently. The whole podcast was meant to be stories that link, not through revolution, through story. Mm-hmm. And I kind of was figuring it out. I'd reached, I think, either 13 or 14 episodes, which meant not that much time, yeah. once a week. So it wasn't, I mean, I released the first episode late July. And this started in October. So that's a few months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was getting out of the Sirso family story to go into another story. And I was still trying to figure out how to get an aristocratic family with property (laughs) to a different subject. And then this happened. Mm -hmm. I quickly had to shelve that sort of sidestep of Ottoman land baron (laughs) trade and all that stuff. And I decided... I think it was the second day or the third day started on a thursday mm-hmm. thursday night yep the thursday i think was the 17th i think yeah so it's really the 18th was the first i think by the 19th maybe saturday or so i don't really remember now uh i persuaded my aunt to meet me at a cafe a cafe not a, a downtown meet yeah. in downtown and then we walked to a cafe she brought some of her friends with her and horrible microphones. One of that them, was a loud episode. I mean, <laughs> not only was the cafe loud, yeah. but the microphone blew up because I think it couldn't handle <laughs> what was happening. It literally, it blew up later. <laughs> <laughs> that's another story. That's another story, yeah. So I realized she brought seven or eight people, and then I had friends who joined, then I had relatives, other relatives who joined, and I realized 
everybody wants to talk. Mm-hmm. And of course, then I quickly discovered this is the worst location to do it because, I mean, as much editing as you do, the audio was not good. Although they were, I think, very important moments to capture, but audio quality aside, I did sense that, no, this is something that's very important. And I also thought that it's a 50-50, that either this country does emerge quickly in a better place, or it stagnates and declines gradually, further and further and further. And then the euphoria on the streets really, really I think, tilted it a bit mm-hmm. towards maybe 60, 40, then 70, 30. And it would go back, down, it would go up. But there was this first week of something serious is happening. And everybody I spoke to, in a, in a way, felt the same way. They were cautious to a point, but very optimistic. And I really wanted to get as many voices as possible. Now, this is before we met. Mm-hmm. So I was doing them technically in or around Martyrs Square, but I reached out to people I thought would want to share perspective. And I think I just really, every way possible, I contacted, I guess, what is it, 70 people? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. 80 people. You can I can imagine. I mean, I, many of them said, some, no, some of them said no. A few never got back to me. But maybe 90% at the end were happy to share their views. Uh, but I wanted a wide variety of perspective. I didn't want to get pigeonholed either in the politics per se, mm-hmm. whether it's Hariri or Hezbollah or geopolitics, Iran, and that, Saudi Arabia. I didn't want to go there. I wanted to, and not just economy in terms of Riyadh Salami and the Central Bank. I wanted just to broaden the circle as much as I can and have people share their perspectives on the revolution. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, they ended up being a variety of people, oh, urban, yeah. urban planners. Artists. Artists. Yeah. I mean, painters, legal experts, mm-hmm. constitutional law people. Um, a bit blurry, but some of them are eccentric, oh, what, what eccentric writers. <laughs> Definitely unique characters in the oh, group. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the only concern I had was that I want them to, I want them to be forthright, and if they're hesitating, I want them to say that that they don't think this is the right thing. Mm-hmm. It's not healthy for the country. I want I wanted to hear that from them, but I drew a line quickly, and this is something I wanted to talk to you about. I drew a line that if you're against the revolution, not in a, not in a uh, well-thought-through way, if mm-hmm. you're against it from the get-go, yeah. and if you're against it because you're determined to preserve the system, which to me meant you're part of the political class, and that includes anyone from the prime minister to Hassan Nasrallah and everyone in between, I didn't want to hear from them because mm-hmm. I thought their voices were heard enough. Didn't really care. So that's why I avoided current politicians mm-hmm. and I avoided, uh, I avoided the anti-demonstrators, the anti-revolutionary voices that gained momentum, I think, over time. Yeah. I didn't want, I didn't care for that. That was a subjective decision I made. I don't know if you feel the same way, but that, that was something that I just said. This is a moment worth celebrating. It's not a moment 
to to want to derail mm-hmm. and hurt. So that's why, and maybe there's some criticism there. I didn't care for uh, Michelle Aoun supporters, mm-hmm. or for that matter, Hezbollah supporters, or for that matter, Hadidi supporters. I didn't want to hear from the usual suspects. I yeah. wanted to hear from people that all want to change. Maybe they don't agree how to get there, but that was a common theme. I don't know if you feel the same way. Um, you'd have to also acknowledge that half of the problem was solved for me because mm. by default, if I'm in the square, the people I'm going to meet are right. protesters. Yeah. However, I did deal with that subjectively because from my friends, a lot of people are still supporting parties. And yeah. I also know of many people who want to just stay out of it. Yeah. They really don't care what happens. So the way I try to deal with that, especially mm. that it was obvious during Christmas and all of that, when you sit back with your family and remember that those people exist, <laughs> was, was to ask the people I interviewed uh, about how they deal with that conversation with their friends. Absolutely. And you I, did an episode about that. Yeah. I, I tried to ask as many people saying, okay, so we're in this. You being here assumes a specific political direction or political will to change how do you deal with those who do not share that because it's not about showing both perspectives I think we also lack showing how to deal with it it's not enough to say this exists and that exists Mm. it's not journalism journalism is also trying to say what is there in common how are people dealing with this difference it's not always black and white so at least that's how I I'm convincing myself that I dealt with this. You remind me, you didn't do any episodes with anti-revolution protesters. Mm-mm. Nope. The counter-revolutionary voices. Nope. And maybe, I mean, one could argue that their job is being done. Mm-hmm. And it's not, of course, just the news outlets available to that wide variety of persuasion. But that... In a way, that voice has been the voice for so long that maybe it's not necessary to treat that as an equally important voice to include on a rather subjective journey mm-hmm. that we're both going through together. And I think it's fair to say that we both adamantly supported the revolution mm-hmm. and we wanted to do episodes to, that reflect that passion. So maybe it's a built-in bias, but that's a bias that we wanted to share. We acknowledge it. It's not that we're saying the bias does not exist. And I would also add that the other voices are not less important, Mm. but I would argue are not new. It's nothing that we can add to the conversation. There's nothing we haven't heard before, at least from my perspective. Every person I already talked with does not add anything new. However, the protesters are, not because they are original and there's nothing like them in the world, Mm. but because their voices were not heard before. That's true. And they were now being heard, and that was, I think, our mission, was to record it and document it and keep it, keep it alive. Was there any moment where you felt things were going wrong? And I mean this more than just the intimidation that we saw, Mm -hmm. where we saw this together, tents burned to the ground. Uh, people getting attacked mm-hmm. physically 
the soda sign being burned and then later replaced. And that, that's just a few very small examples. We also both, I think we were either talking on the phone or recording when one protester was killed. And it's quite, quite amazing that it's just one protester. I mean, it's, it's, if you think about it, that might be the most, <laughs> that might just show exactly how, how unique this moment is, that one person died. Someone else died by accident, falling from mm -hmm. one of the buildings. So that's, compared to Iraq, compared to Syria, compared to Iran, this is quite an accomplishment. But did you ever sense that in, when you were pro recording and watching it, that this is not going to work, that things are breaking? I, I would use a moment that I lived. Um, I think to most people would be something you'd forget in an hour, mm. but it still sticks with me. And that is about how complacent people can be. So I remember I was in Martyr Square, it was maybe around 10, 11 p.m., so it wasn't really early, and uh, some um, people were uh, on their bikes, just passing by right. and kind of uh, just the, trying to the, provoke The anti-protesters. Yeah, 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 just yeah. trying to uh, keep the fire alive, <laughs> do uh, some provocation. This is, this is after the initial burning? Yeah, yeah. Right, so that this was, is... Yeah. That was on one of those nights, unfortunately, there are so many right now, I can't really pinpoint to the nights, mm. but it was one of those nights where um, people on bikes were trying to provoke people in Martyrs Square so they can uh, kick them out, remove their tents, etc. It was one of those nights where something was about to happen, but nothing eventually happened. Yeah. So I was there. And I remember that uh, people were on the ring and they were literally like on that intersection next to uh, Azariyeh and the mosque. Oh, this is the, uh, of course, of course. This is not that long ago. It so wasn't. A it month wasn't. ago or so, right? Maybe, yeah. 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 And I was with some friends. Actually, those became friends after I had interviewed them. They have a few tents next to the mosque, like mm. next to the building there on, on the site. And I remember there were young children. There were everyone there. And my car was parked at, on the ring. So I'm like, I'm going to turn around. So using the seaside roads. Yeah. And then go up in Jemaize and then go back to the ring. So, so to avoid going up directly to the ring. Right, because right. it was a so bit of a mess. So literally doing the whole ring to get back to the... Like I, yeah. I went down to yeah, yeah. Nahar, went straight yes, exactly. uh, to uh, yeah, Saife yeah. and then went back up Jemaize. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So like shots were being fired it, w it was a mess like it wasn't something people were very okay with yeah. like they were talking about taking the children to the basement in case something happens right, so right. that was the situation there was tear gas everywhere and, yeah. that was before tear gas that was before before, before okay, yeah, okay. yeah before tear yeah, gas yeah, yeah. so I remember it wasn't like a nice situation yeah. to deal with and then I'm like okay you guys I'm sorry I'm gonna have to go if you need anything let me know if you need me to take someone somewhere anyway I was on my way so I go up to Jamaize I'm like, I'm already tensed. I hid my mic. I'm like, I don't want anyone's attention around yeah. me right now. I just want to reach my car and then go home. And I remember in Jamaica, people are just drinking yeah. and yeah. having the time of their lives. Yeah. While a couple hundred meters away, people were scared for their lives. Yeah. I left people with sticks. They kept their sticks near their bodies in case they were physically attacked. 
they were worried about their own safety in their tent, while a couple of hundred meters away, people were holding their drinks outside of a pub, smoking, and just listening to music. And I'm walking just with a stupid sense of fearing for my own life. I'm in the middle of stupid gymnasia. I'm worried while these people feel nothing, and two minutes away, people are literally fearing for their lives. I'm like, this is what scares me the most. That is, three months in, there's a big portion that still feels that it's not concerned. You, I think, are experiencing what what our parents and grandparents tried to relay to us, which is that really it's a, it's a thin line, and it always is like this. You go back to the summer war of 2006, July 2006. I mean, you're just a few kilometers away from Dahi being bombed. Yep. And there were, I mean, pe- people go about their daily lives. Uh, you have the civil war, the Khattames mm-hmm. snipers shooting, and you have people on the beach as well. People jet skiing next to snipers shooting. And I, I, I sense that we're just, although we're not there, we're not at the civil war or that kind of violence, but this is a form of violence, and we're witnessing it with our own eyes that one block away, people go about their daily... Well, they, they not about, it's not their daily lives. People still do what they do despite the revolt happening. Yep. And I think, uh, I think we're, you said it, we're, growing, we're accustomed to it. Because you don't... I'm sure you forgot about it just read you go home and you're like well that's jamaisi you assume <laughs> and it's it's maybe it's it, that's the big that's the hard part to digest that that unfortunately it's how the country seems to behave all the time it bothers me because it's people my age like mm, we've we've mm. discussed this whole post civil war uh, trauma that most people in Lebanon are currently living which is after you've been through such a horrible phase in any country's uh, history, mm. it's part of the trauma that you're kind of desensitized to other people's drama. You, it's not because that you don't care. Say it's, that again, you're desensitized to Yeah, like we were discussing this oh, with, oh, a, with a psychologist mean, the right, other day. Right. She's mm. like, usually people who've experienced that much of a trauma, especially if it's a collective one, yeah. you kind of need to draw a line so you... you don't feel the pain all the time of others' pain, your pain, etc. So right. I would understand this PTSD-like uh, desensitizing from people who've lived the war. I was born in 1990. Most of these people having drinks are younger than I am. I just turned 30. What is your excuse for spending 30,000, 50,000 on a night out when people right next door are scared for their lives I'm not saying don't go out I'm not saying don't take a break if you need it but in that moment I'm sure I'm sure I judge them inappropriately but it really got on my nerves because I'm always surrounded by people who just don't care so you expected more from from that moment you wanted them to get out they wanted them to not necessarily those like exact people having drinks but I'm like, there's, it, it, it shocks me. It shocks me that we are at 
50% unemployment and life goes on. It shocks me. Can I, but, but, okay, I'm going to throw an, throw an idea out to you, but before that, did you just turn 30? Yeah. When was your birthday? <laughs> January 5th. I take the day off. This is being well, like cut. You're, you're like me. Uh, you don't share that information. Nope. And this is being deleted forever. Do not share that. Can I put a beep on it? No. <laughs> no, it's my day off. I disconnect. I'm officially offline for like 30 hours. I just okay, listen. Love life. Okay, I'm going to say this and then get your permission to include it. I'm the same. June 20. We're good? All right. Yeah. I'm glad. Oh, maybe this is why we get along. We both... And no, I'm we, like, this is yeah. my day. My asocial mood is going to take over. Leave me alone. <laughs> People get angry at me when I don't oh, yeah. celebrate it. I know. Yeah. Well, good. Well, hatta at 30, they're like, 30, change your habit oh, well, for this okay. year. Well, I didn't, really, I didn't mean so much your expiration date. I meant more your... <laughs> <laughs> like, in the 30s, is very different from 29. I'm like, who gives a shit? Actually, they're right. <laughs> no, I'm joking. 25 I'm joking. was my PTSD year. Oh, I see. And like I quarter see. of a century. Well, I'll be turning 40 not too late. Maybe next year, I'll be 40. Wait, wait, wait. 39? Oh my God, I'll be 40 next year, yeah. Okay, going back. Going back <laughs> to um, that uh, other subject. That You're saying half the country is unemployed, which is true. Yeah. And that there's a, there are major issues here that should be fought for. And yeah, of course, it is disappointing when you see some people just kind of, it seems like ignoring the situation. But, but, would, would it be fair to say that there are pockets of that attitude, whatever you want to call it, throughout the country? And in Beirut, it's most present here in Madam Khayyad and, and Jamesi and some other places too. But for the most part, most of the country is suffering. I'm sure, I'm sure like 50% is 50% of everyone. Maybe it is visible in, in those specific areas, but it is present everywhere. Like in my own home, in my own family, in my own circle of friends. No, in when, other words, that like maybe the... I mean, it's it visible, sure, but it, it is in every house. Even if people... Even if the whole family is, is unemployed or even if it is employed, yeah. people just think it's normal that half of the people they know do not have jobs. No, no, what I meant was the, the disillusionment with somebody at a bar hmm. just having what looks like a good time while down the street people are being beaten up potentially. Yeah. Is, that, is it fair to criticize the person in the bar for not standing up? For the protester? I'm sure it's not. I'm going to... No, I actually yeah. don't know. That's why I'm, I'm curious. I, th I yeah. think it's not fair. Mm. But I also need to say this out loud, that I am one of those people who was unemployed for two years. Yeah. Not two months. And I'm an AB graduate. Yeah. I'm not saying AB graduates have uh, an advantage over others, but I'm just saying I have a degree. Just like people who are employed see things from their perspective. Yeah. It hurts when someone who is unemployed and finally sees hope in something still sees that many people don't care. I'm sure, I'm sure, mm. I'm sure on a regular day, if Thawra wasn't going on, it would hurt a bit. But right now it hurts a lot. What would? Seeing people not care. It would hurt more? 
If and there was no soda? No, less. I'm heard less. less. Yeah, 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 right. But right. I mean, soda is happening now. Yeah. And you can hear gunshots. And you still think it's a good idea to go out and have a drink a couple of hundred meters away from them? Like, remember another, another yeah. example. I had an event planned a couple of days after Thoda. We canceled it. That was, a, that was an event with another friend. Because I'm like, I do not feel that it's appropriate to be out in public while everyone is angry on the streets, while we debate some idea about, I think it was about evolution and whatever, like something in, in, in my in my. Uh, you know, I'm going to field. share a personal example that I would not share otherwise, but I think it may be because, I mean, I, I know exactly what you're saying, and I think this may just be a product of just so used to it. And that could be bigger, that could be a bigger problem. My father was assassinated in Starco, mm. just in front of Starco, middle of downtown. Yep. A massive explosion. People died. In addition to him and the driver, other people, innocent people, blown apart in the middle of the city, in downtown. It's not a remote, obscure corner. And the city shook, and it was a huge car bombing. And uh, I saw friends on Facebook. Later that night, going out in Hamra, uh, I believe downtown white above a Nahar, people were dancing, people were going out. That's that's ours, and mind you, two things, right? First, it's not the first explosion in the middle of the city. It's clearly not the first assassination, and it's not the first time a bad event happens, and then people just kind of quickly turn and move in another direction. And I include other examples because I know that it's not, I don't think this is, I, th I can't expect more from a population that is so accustomed to absurdity. And maybe that's why it stopped. I mean, it's funny because when you're saying it, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I know that you're looking at this kind of, it's like, come on, wake up. But then, no, it's, it's just, I think it's, a way of if it's not your problem you just don't think about it that way but when it is your problem you make it personal and I think that's I didn't mean to make it like it's the youth versus the older yeah, generation yeah. I think this is unfortunately it's part of the youth too because we're not these are not clean years of non-violence and calm and these are actually years and years of of horrible mismanagement and pain and at times violence too. Yeah. So maybe maybe that's unfortunately a it's pervasive and I don't know. But I know exactly what you're talking about. The city, this country, I think, copes with so much pain that you kind of by default you go about your daily life anyway. And whether that's joining friends in a bar or a cafe and then you know that just down the street stuff is happening, so you don't go down the street. But Ronnie, this is not only pain. This is a chance to actually change. Even if it's a 1% thing. Yeah. I know it's painful. I know a lot of shit has happened. Just like you had a horrible day at the bank, I had a horrible day at court. We face shit every stupid day in this city, in this country. There's no reason why we should stay inactive. I understand everyone's reservation about not agreeing 
with specific plans or cutting roads or whatever it is. But do something. Do something. Just anything. I understand also whomever wants to take a couple of days off. Just cope with whatever chaos is happening. But get back in it. Like, if this is not for you, who is this for? I want to touch on something that's not related to the podcast, but it's related to something that we sometimes bring up and then we kind of started talking about it today. You deal with your own problems here, which are systemic. They started way before the revolution. And we don't need to get into the personal issue, but let's just say it's a... It's something that has bothered you for three years. It's your right. It's been delayed against your wishes. And the only way forward seems to be bribing. Now, that's a very vague example of what many people have to deal with here. Corruption at the lowest level. And if it's not bribing, then it's a different form of bribing. It's a, you call somebody, the wasta that we all deal with connections that are not necessarily for positive reasons and this could be by the way you need to use connections to do something correct it's not necessarily for ill gain it could be that you want to do the job right and you can't you you want to do something that's correct and you yet need to go circumvent the system i keep thinking that people leave this country in waves due to violence in all its forms and due to corruption. And corruption to me is WASTA. And WASTA in this country, I mean, we've perfected WASTA. We've made it a, I don't think we're breaking a system, we're breaking WASTA. We're trying to, because there's really no. What is the system anyway today? It's, it's power sharing along very corrupt lines. And I, keep asking this question over and over and over in different ways that whether or not the country can move forward so long as there's one group today it could be a different group tomorrow it was different it was a different group before and it'll take different shapes and forms but as long as you have weapons outside of the state can this country move forward and i never get a direct yes i get a very either vague answers or a direct no So I assume my own preconceived notion about weapons beyond the state will derail any decent attempt at fixing this country. And I know people are fed up with it. I know people want corruption to end. But do you think we have it within us to systematically shatter the deal makings and the contacts and the bribes and everything we do on a daily basis here just to get by? Do you think that it's within us to get there? I genuinely want to believe that this corrupt nature is a consequence. It's not really something that's innate and Mm. that we're building on. Mm. Um, That's interesting. Consequence of what? Consequence of a system that's not working. Mm. Because when I know that this will take me forever or I can give someone a call and it will get better, and again, it can be a good thing. It can be my right that's actually getting back to me. Why the hell would I go through a corrupt system that's technically the legal way or the 
uh, I don't know, straightforward way, when I can get a speedier um, resolution. Something is not working. We don't treat each other as citizens. Mm. We're always in competition with one another, one mm. group against the other and all of that. This is why you need Wasta, because something doesn't work and you need it to work. At least that's, that's my very optimistic way of seeing why we like Wasta so much. So Wasta is a consequence of a poorly, of an, ineffect, an ineffectual... Because like Wasta exists even in the States. It exists everywhere. Wasta existed here before the Civil War and sure. it'll probably exist after this revolution. But I mean, it's not a Lebanese yeah. thing. It's definitely an mm. everywhere thing, but it's more prominent in places where the system is weaker. Whatever system you have, yeah. whether it's a dictatorship or whatever, yeah. something yeah. else that you have. Right. If whatever mainstream way of getting your rights is so broken, the alternative way becomes much easier, much more... Well, let me, throw, let me throw the question to you. Can people tackle corruption without tackling violence? What do you mean? Can you imagine this country being less corrupt but still weaponized the way it is? Again, I still see the weapon situation as a consequence. I don't oh, think oh, anyone takes up arms mm. just because they feel like being thugs. So both are consequences of a, of a horrible system. That's how I would like to see it. But that is, if that is the case, which yeah. I hope it is, because that is, I think, then it's very easy to say, put something new, right? Okay, put a new system in place. We're now three and a half months, mm -hmm. almost. Yeah. And I don't know what a new system looks like and I don't, I can't imagine it. And all I see is, all I see is maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's pessimism. I don't know. I can't imagine this country as a secular pacifist state and I can't imagine it staying a sectarian power sharing thing I can't see either one and that's why I'm not I don't know what something new looks like I don't either I I, I want to also remind you that I've only seen Billy days I was born in the 90s I do not know anything else, literally. Literally days? Yes, that's, that's like... literally. Like, this is oh, the Oh, that era. just a few days? Literally. Maybe a year? <laughs> a couple. But, like, joking aside, some of us have never seen anything sorry, else. Technically, you were born to a different speaker. Really? Yeah, same, no. same. When, when did he leave? I think 91 or 92. Okay, come on, that doesn't <laughs> maybe count. Maybe 92, 92. I was still, yeah. like... Half breastfeeding, half whatever. It doesn't really count. But, like, you see what I mean? Like, some of us literally have You're not seen anything better. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Oh, okay, anyway. That's my mommy instinct kicking in. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, look, we've, we've been accustomed to this being the only reality. Yeah. And, like, why? Why? I'm, I'm sure it makes a lot of sense in many people's heads, but it doesn't in mine. I'm not saying that this is the ultimate evil and we should change to anything else. No, no, no. I'm not a proponent of change, whatever the change is. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that there's no alternative. It, it might turn out to be worse, but, but I'm like, but let's just, talk about this. Okay, let's so, just talk about right. it. You're talking about reform. 
I think, right? If it's neither, if it's neither uh, preserving or demolishing, it's fixing. Honestly, I don't think we're, we're at a stage of doing anything except replacing. Like, we're not, in my opinion, we're not in a Thoda stage. We're mm. not mm. going to rewrite the Constitution. Yeah. That's Thoda to me. Right. We're at the stage of, okay, let's keep this structure, but let's replace. We think the problem is with the people who are holding power. Right. Okay? Because some of us, again, have only seen those people. Right. And it's right. not a problem with Billy or whomever or whomever. Mm. Mm. For whatever reason, some people are seen as the main problem, not yeah. the system for now. Even though some people are saying this is the system, but many others are saying, no, no, it's you guys, and we want to remove you. Killon, yani killon. It's not a Thora, Balad, Nizam. Some people are saying Nizam, but right. mostly it's, it's let's replace those people. So I'm, I'm at this stage saying this might be a shot worth taking. And maybe after we replace them, we, we might see that it's not, it wasn't really the people. Something is wrong with the structure that's making the people behave this way. And that would be a discussion for a later time. But mm. right now, mm. I don't think we're in a position except to replace the politicians we currently have. Interesting. So it's like a step-by-step process, in a way. That's I mean, how I see it. I'm yeah, not saying yeah. it should happen this way. Yeah. Um, this is how I see the street moving forward. I, I do not see the energy for the photo. Right. I think a lot of us are gradually coming to that conclusion as well. And it is, I think, safer now to say that maybe it's not a revolution. It is clearly, it's a revolt. Yep. It's a, it's an uprising, maybe revolution. It's too soon, whether or not to use that word. I yep. agree with you. I think there's a preconceived optimism in that word when you say it without the revolution succeeding. That's maybe not. Maybe that's not the right word for the occasion. Or it's a Lebanese revolution, and this is what revolutions look like in Lebanon. <laughs> maybe time will tell. Time will tell. You said something to me, I think, a few days or maybe a week into the protests, and you either I posted or you posted, or maybe both of us saw the same image of uh, what Martyr Square looked like in the early 1990s. And I remember your words, you're like, oh, I didn't know all that was there. And I like, So this made me very sad for the other, for not, nothing to do with you. I've spent so many years trying to explain Martyrs Square to Lebanese and tourists mm-hmm. and on this tour that I give. And of course there's no tour now, but it like, I was like, I just wanted to kind of give you the tour. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I spent hours and hours every day aside from the podcast trying to create the video about what you were talking about which is the whole the whole story from beginning to today and i'm certain i'm certain of this that this part of the city is so special it's so magical and i think it's it's it really is the place that all of us continue to rally our cause. At the same time, it's a hundred years of history. And sure, we keep going back, but 
it's a century of trying to figure things out collectively. I sometimes get scolded by somebody I've interviewed a few times for this for the podcast that I'm that power sharing pluralism mm -hmm. these are not yeah th th those words sound great compromise um, you look at the neighborhood and we definitely have failed at times but I mean yeah, Syria's in a horrible state Iraq is is violent Iran is its own story uh, Egypt is suffering Libya is at war the Palestinian cause is still being fought. And uh, Lebanon, if you put it in that perspective, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's not the end of the world because the end of the world may be actually the neighborhood that we're living in. Is there any credence to the debate that maybe this is the only way forward for Lebanon? a sectarian power-sharing model that we don't like, we don't enjoy, we don't enjoy it for the most part, but do you think that there's any, any pos positivity today to the way Lebanon has handled itself over time and that maybe it's the only model that we can live with and whenever we try to get rid of it, doesn't go away, it stays. Honestly, I'm, I'm gonna shy away from using the words. I'm gonna use new social contracts because mm. it's easier for me. It's less loaded with expectations and definitions. Let's use a, a new way of dealing with each other, a mm. new social contract. Mm. Um, honestly, if from our discussions, from your discussions with your own circles, my discussions, just watching TV, uh, monitoring social media. If everyone is so unhappy, why do we want to stick with something that makes us so unhappy just because it's familiar? Yeah. Anyone, I think, this is how I liken it. It's anyone who's gotten out of a toxic relationship, it's kind of the same. Like, you know there's something to get back to. You know it's bad for mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. But you know it's easy, you know it's familiar. Right. But anyone who's actually gotten out of something like that knows that the moment you truly are happy in your own skin and are away from the comfort zone, even though it's weird and gray and you really don't know what's going on, yeah. it still feels better. Does that imply a divorce? Are we are we are you talking about communities that no no no, no, no you're no. not talking about um, no no not okay. one bit <clears throat> not one bit because there are multiple examples of communities living together right. yeah. in a much more coherent way so your divorce is with the with the way we're, we're talking to each other yeah. there's no way our communities have to be talking to each other in such a competitive way all the time mm. why is it that we're always scared of the other party why is it that we always organize in a way that there's this one pie and we're trying to always get the better share of it? Mm, yeah. there's, no way, like, there's no reason why we organize ourselves in such, in such a way. And it doesn't mean if we're not competing that we have to divorce. There's the third mm. and a fourth and a fifth way. So we social, just have social contract is the, 
is the key Especially, here. again, that we admit we are different communities. Yeah. It doesn't have to be one. It right. doesn't have to be competitive. There's yeah. many other avenues that we can explore of being together and actually turning this into a productive country. Yeah. We're not a productive country. <laughs> Let's get our shit together. This makes no sense. At least this is something that can unite us. Let's start making some money. I, I don't want to end it with a, on a negative note, but, yeah. but I'll just let a final point on this. I always think that it's because there's no money that people are now outraged and demanding something else. Mm -hmm. But put money back in the system. I really have this... I can see it. People go back. But money is not going to come in. I am so sure. Right, right. Okay, so the, that's... So in other words, no money will at some point break and shatter what we've been living with anyway. Yeah. And maybe violence gets us to somewhere different later. Not but, necessarily uh, violence, but actually looking to ourselves, yeah. into ourselves and others and saying, oh, this illusion, this way of just hiding our eyes from what's actually going on yeah. needs to change. We need to have a very honest conversation with each other, yes. with one another, of what the hell can we do with this country so it's productive and not everyone's savings goes to waste or right. everyone's lives goes to waste. All that said, and I think this is probably a debate we'll have later, and it's something that will... It's clearly not over. From yeah. today, from the demonstrations today, it's yeah. clear that it's not over. Um, just going back, are there any fun moments you can share, just maybe an anecdote or two of, of things that surprised you when you, were pro when you were recording or even protesting, or just sort of moments that caught you off guard? Uh, honestly, I only have positive moments uh -huh. because I've met amazing, amazing people. Everyone who's listening, most of them, I had to be very kind of objective during the interview. There's also this one day I was sick and I went down. I needed to check up on one of the people I knew there. Mm. And um, like I was visibly sick. I was... I, my and nose you were was running at the same time. Yeah, yeah, because I also needed to like record and check on some yeah, people. Yeah, because yeah. afterwards, like you develop relationships, so you check up on them. Are you still well? How's your tent, etc. So I remember. <laughs> how's your tent? <laughs> it's a thing. It's like, funny. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's like, true. How's your house? Is yeah, it still yeah, yeah. Together? Your... Exactly. <laughs> the house is gone, but the tent's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so th this guy gets me a chair, and I'm sitting. We're just chatting about what happened mm. the last two days, what they have planned, etc. So I mentioned the fact that I'm a bit sick, and he's like, wait one minute. And he rushes into his tent, like, okay, what's happening? Yeah. And then he goes back out with a cup uh, holding some yellow liquid. He's like, drink this. Like, what is this? He's like, this is something that we drink whenever we feel a cold is coming, and you're gonna get cured in wow. a minute. Honestly, it's those moments where you feel like you're at your aunt's house, yeah, no, you know, yeah, she yeah. takes care of you no matter what and she has a potion for everything. Like, I never expected to have a moment like that yeah. in someone's tent in Mortar Square. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I don't know how, but it actually worked. I was so very fine <laughs> the day after. So like almost comfort or protection in a way. And again, these are people I've only known for a yeah. month or two. Right. They were worried about my own health, even though, again, most of them are jobless. Most of them are not, like their houses are not near. So whatever he gave me on that day, it's his own stash. Like yeah. he, he didn't have to, 
most people who are there are extremely kind, extremely kind. And again, they don't have to. I'm just a reporter who was there and interviewed them once. Yeah. But it's every moment of kindness that I've seen. It it just blows my mind. It's something I will never forget. And if you're around Beirut, if you still have not gone, please go. Just talk to anyone, anyone. I can guarantee, I can guarantee they're one of the sweetest souls you ever meet. I can't add anything to that. Yeah, I completely, uh, you know, I think you said it right. That's a, that's the beauty of the moment. I, I don't know if, uh, if you felt the same way, but a lot of people don't like their voice. <laughs> <laughs> that's the number one problem I faced. They're and like, I hate the way my voice sounds. Yeah. I'm like, I thought I did a good job editing. Yeah, so well, I tried to yeah. change the conversation. <laughs> but I, really, I don't like particularly like my voice either but then you get used to it over exactly, time exactly you, you get, get used over to it. it yeah but that's it's funny that there were some people that really just couldn't stand the way they sound and then they hear the episode mm-hmm. and they're sharing it all over the place <laughs> exactly. it's like take it easy man it's just a it's just like one episode they're like, you get a whatsapp message you know yeah. you're like hey guess what i was on it's like yeah i did it <laughs> it's me it's me <laughs> So that was funny. I thought that people, the hesitation at the beginning to be recorded and then some really enjoy. I had somebody who, uh, as soon as we stopped recording, sort of leaned in a bit and said, I want the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Get a microphone. (laughs) (laughs) It's that easy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other stuff is complicated, but this one's easy. You you can get that. Yeah. Well, I, I think I learned so much and I got... And, and you said it a little, a little earlier, it's, I mean, it's emotional at times because you're reliving a, an emotional moment, not just on the street or not just you're editing it, you're listening to it, you're making sure it sounds good at the end. You want, you want the person you're talking to to sound great as well. That, but anyway, the story is living with you 24-7. And I think it can be exhausting, but, but you definitely gain so much insight into how people are appreciating and, and handling what's happening. I mean, I think everything I say now, there's voices in my head and they're not, this is not psychosis. These are actual... <laughs> Almost there though. Oh yeah. I mean, these are voices that I recorded in my head. <laughs> and I, I can see maybe, I can see a bigger picture now that I didn't see before. And uh, it's with immense regret to share this news that you're leaving. Uh, now the funny thing is you're leaving after I leave. <laughs> exactly. I'm leaving until perhaps, well, I don't know. I'll be gone for a while. I intend to record episodes while, while I'm away. And all of them will link back to this moment. But I think it'll have to go back to the old way, which is maybe one or two episodes a week. Because daily episodes, they can only happen when you're here. And maybe even now, daily episodes in Beirut at this time may not be sustainable. So it's, I think we did our job for that, for that stretch. Um, but you're going back to Montreal. And uh, I'm assuming you will not be recording voices from the train station. Or <laughs> no, I will not. Or the freezing cold of I will not whatever. bother people there, I yeah. promise. <laughs> But what is your what is your next step now? You're going back to finish your degree. Yes. Your thesis. Yes. Okay. So and, yeah. Yeah. 
for those who don't know, which is normal that you don't know because it's completely unrelated to what I just did. I'm doing my master's in digital innovation and journalism. And my topic is about communicating the challenges of artificial intelligence. So I'm doing science journalism. Um, so yes, I'm hoping to finish that degree and um, hopefully get into that line of work. Um, I'm a scientist by trade, officially, mm. and mm. I'm doing this. But you, man- you managed to host your cafe scientifique? Yeah, but again, it's whether it's the cafe, whether it's this podcast, whether it's anything, we're all storytellers. Um, I think it also comes with the flexibility and the sensitivity to know where to focus your energy. Um, if you're my supervisor, I'm definitely working on my thesis. Uh-huh. <laughs> if not, um, I think you all understand how both my schedule, Ronnie's schedule, and every one of your schedules has been affected by what's going on. And I think it's it's just our sense of duties. I, I've been surviving on coffee from Ronnie. Ronnie is also juggling a million other things. It's not about this being our primary thing, but I think it's also part, part of our responsibility, our duty to recognize that at times you just need to take a break and divert all your energy to one place. Um, hopefully this will turn out to be a, a wise decision that we did. Uh, and if not, I'm honestly very grateful for the opportunity um, to share that many stories and to talk with, with so many people I wouldn't have talked to otherwise. Trust me, holding a microphone gets you very far <laughs> into conversations with people. It's a good uh, conversation starter. Um, it's a bad conversation ender. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is, especially if you're like on a deadline, you're like, I really need to go. But yeah, it's... It's interesting. Um, I'm happy I got to do this. And I'm happy I met you, honestly. You said I was the best intern. I'm, I'm keeping that too. You're the only intern. <laughs> for now, for now. But the best will remain. Like eventually, if you get multiple interns, the best is still mine. I am not giving it up. Uh, listen, maybe another revolution will get a better intern. <laughs> but I think this, the memory of meeting you and doing this with you, it's a very positive memory that I'll take with me. Um, Hopefully, 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 while we're both in North America, you're in Canada, I'll be mostly in New York, uh, that we'll be able to meet and share these stories in different venues and uh, maybe keep this passion going while we're both abroad. Regardless, thank you, Elia. Thank you. You're not supposed to clap for yourself. I am clapping for you, saying thank you. (laughs) I'll clap for you. (laughs) Let's clap for each other. You ruined my joke. Ignoring. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll share anything we do together abroad. Uh, we'll share in, in different ways. But um, with that said, I don't know how to end this. Can you end it with your the way you end all these episodes that you end? <laughs> Not in a cheesy way now, though. Okay, let me do it, do this officially. Elia Hubbard signing off from Ronnie's couch. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you, Alia. That was awesome. There was a big crackdown on protesters a couple of days ago who were gathered outside Takanit al-Halu, demanding the release of the detainees. AOBMC alone received over 30 injured young men and women that night. Sadly, journalists were also attacked. I'm sure many of you saw photos of that already. 
There was also one from a couple of mornings ago where colleagues laid down their cameras and equipment in a line on the ground as a form of protest. The imagery is very powerful, not only because those journalists risk their lives to relay actions on the ground, but also because their equipment is the first thing that's attacked. Equipment isn't cheap. In one way, this is also a reminder of our responsibility as media consumers, as people who listen to stories. This podcast and most storytelling that happens from the ground are independent projects. This one is fueled by our time and pockets. Effort isn't cheap. If you appreciate any of our content and would like to see more of it, we'd appreciate any contribution you can make through Patreon or PayPal. The details are in the link of the show notes. Consider it as a cup of coffee that you spare every month. If you ran into me or Ronnie or any podcaster you like, wouldn't you take them out for coffee? That's hopefully not too much to ask if you truly appreciate our work. Thank you always for listening.